0: Amen. You can be seated. Thanks for being here this morning uh, on this uh, beautiful uh, summer day. So glad that you chose to be at at church uh, this morning and uh, uh, being a part of what's going on here. Uh, Last week we had our uh, church barbecue. It was amazing. If you weren't here, you missed it. Big time, like uh, ridiculous amounts of incredible brisket and then barbecue chicken, and so it was. It was so good. So uh, that was so fun. Had a couple of baptis or a few baptisms actually, and so uh, we were excited about that as well. Uh, we've been in the book of 1st John and so you can turn the, turn there with me to be the end of chapter 2 We'll begin there chapter 2 verse 28 through three ten, Actually, and so we've been talking through the book of 1st of John. We've been talking about what uh, What John has to say to us what God has to say to us through John and what really has been Communicated thus far is this this idea of what it looks like to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? Uh, too often we we know that we're saved by grace, and yet we continue in sin. We continue to do whatever we want. We continue to say, uh, you know, not take sin seriously. It's it's there's a rash of that in uh, American churches. We have this licentious uh, nature going on here with us. We we feel we feel forgiven sometimes, and so we just continue in sin, or we're stuck in bad habits. And so there's just this cycle of shame that's going on over and over again. With just uh, we engage in sin and then we have shame, and then we engage in sin and then we and then we have shame. And so we just we have such a hard time getting out of this process, and we have such a difficult time really reconciling who we are with the scriptures. And so John has been helping us do that. He's been helping us see what it looks like, what it means to actually be a Christian. Now, uh, last week uh, the sermon was was tough. It was. It was difficult. It was talking about like either you're antichrist or you're with Jesus. Either you have faith in Jesus or you're antichrist. Like that's that's tough. And there's like some tests in there to see like are you are you antichrist? Are you anti Jesus Christ or are you with Jesus? And So there's some some tough words in there for us. And today will be no different. There'll be some tough words. Uh, For us to hear and so if you're somebody who hasn't heard tough words in uh, a sermon before this may be a a little bit of a shock to you and so I just want to I want to caution you to hear what God is saying to you and uh, Don't shoot the messenger this morning. And so what? uh, What let me read through it here? And uh, and we'll get going here chapter 2 beginning in verse 28 It says this, and now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins and in him there is no sin? Well, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Ouch! No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Oh! scathing, like it feels scathing, does it not? (laughs) Like sin is lawlessness. It's not that you kind of have some lawlessness occasionally here or there. It's like when sin is pervasive in your life, it is practicing lawlessness. You're playing for the wrong team. It's full on treason. It is treasonous. That is what John is saying there. Why is he saying that? That's the question we have to ask. And then the second thing we have to ask is, why does it seem like he, is, he said one thing earlier and now he's saying something else? He says earlier in the book, like, hey, I acknowledge that there, is, you know, there are times that we're gonna sin. In fact, you should look back there before some of you lose your minds here. He says in verse eight, of chapter 1. If we say we have no sin, we deceive deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Remember what he just said: sin is lawlessness. It's of the devil. Either you're a child, of the devil, or you're a child of God. But he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He says, like it's it's a commonly known fact, like we all have sin. And then he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. And then he says, my little children, I'm writing uh, these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So which is it? Are you a child of the devil when you sin? Or, or, or is, there, is there a possibility of forgiveness. Let's talk about why he's saying these things. There's a Gnostic heresy. We've talked about this a little bit. We talked about how there's some of these Gnostics who are ascetic in nature. Ascetic meaning they avoid all things all comforts all of all of those kinds of things and the running joke is I'm not even going to try to get a laugh out of this But these are the kind of people that drink uh, LaCroix soda and eat kale They just they just want to avoid this type of stuff they, they, they want to avoid all things that are good or have good flavor, okay? And so that's that's their thing they, they, they really are they deny that they have sin Because they're so good at keeping their life together They're so good at their diet. They're so good at the things that they do that they just deny that they have sin. So that's one part of the Gnostic heresy. John is speaking to this church, and he's saying, hey, there's two uh, ditches that you could go into. One of them is this ascetic one, and then the other one is this licentious one, which is it was to deny that Jesus had a real body. It was a heresy regarding Jesus. It was denying that he was a real person. And so what they said was that whatever you do in the body doesn't really matter. And so they would just do whatever they wanted in the body. So uh, sexual perversion of any kind. Any way that they wanted to ingest anything into their body. Any type of sexual deviance, any, anything that they wanted, they would just engage themselves with. So John is writing to these people, his little children, the people that he cares about so much, and he's saying, listen, some of you have believed in this heresy that says that you have not sinned and that you don't sin and that you don't have problems. And here's the thing with people like that, is that there are people in this world who are just really good at keeping the rules, They're really good at looking like they have things together. But the truth is, is that that's not spiritually coming from God. That is just physically coming from God as creator. God may or may not be their father. They may not be a child of God. They're just really good at keeping the rules and being straight-laced. And sometimes they get into the church and they've never really put faith in Jesus Christ because they've never really acknowledged the fact that they have sin. John's writing to them, and he's saying, if we say we have no sin, we're lying to ourselves and the truth is not in us. We're lying to ourselves. But now he's talking to the other side in chapter 2, verse 28, and he's saying to them, where the heck am I? There. And he's saying to them, I want you to see that this is incongruent, this lifestyle. So what is this incongruence and how can we, how can we bring that into our lives? Like I said, I think this is pervasive. I think, I think that many of us are convinced of the grace of God without understanding the requirements of that grace. Now, we don't get the grace of God because we fulfill requirements. We fulfill requirements because we get the grace of God. Let me just say that at the outset, okay? We do not earn the grace of God. God is the one who grants grace independent of even our decision or our our will. He makes us willing to want him so that it depends on grace. So that it cannot depend on you and I just like receiving him. Now, how do you receive him? You put faith in Jesus Christ. Now, how did that happen? God made you willing to do that. Okay, so it's all by grace. It's all by grace. So here's the problem is that we can think like I better do what's right or I'm going to lose my salvation. That's not true. Uh, We sang a song earlier that was talking about he will hold me fast. He is the one that's going to hold me fast. So we need to hear that. Now, where we get this about this Gnostic heresy is that it's it's historical and so forth. But he mentions this in verse 26 of chapter 2. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. That's how we know. That's how we know he's saying there are people who are trying to distort the truth. And today there are people who are trying to distort the truth. God is love, and so whatever you do that seems loving to you, then you should go ahead and do that. You should go ahead and support that. You should go ahead and be a part of that. And so what is, what is that saying? It's a gnostic heresy. It's a heresy saying God doesn't really care what you do with your life. It doesn't really matter how, how your life is lived. It doesn't matter who you love. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter what you do. Do what seems loving to you. Well, guess what? That's putting yourself in the place of God. That is the original sin in the garden, saying, you know what? God doesn't know best. I know best. I'm going to do whatever I think should happen. That's how it perpetuates. That's how it continually happens. So he says in verse 28, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming okay stop right there for a second now what is he talking about he's saying i want you to live your life as though you're continually living for god I want you to continue living for God. I want you to be thinking about your life and saying, okay, how did Jesus live his life? And so how should I live my life? Because of this, I want you to have confidence and not shrink from, sh- from him in shame at his coming. Now, why would that take place? What are we talking about? Well, what we believe as people who believe the Bible is this, is that Jesus came. We call this Christmas uh, sometimes, but the, it's called the incarnation. Jesus came and he came and he took on bodily form and he humbled himself into the form of a servant, meaning he he became like us with many of our limitations and things of that nature. So he becomes like us, He, uh, he walks with us, he talks with us and all of these things. So that was his first appearing. And what does he come to do? He comes to pay for sin. He comes to pay for sin, he gives his life for sin. Like his entire life, his life's work was to go to that cross. It was to go to that cross, that's what he intended to do, that's what he did do. He goes to the cross, and what does he do? He dies on that cross. But more than just dying on the cross, he's resurrected from the dead. Clearly showing that he is God, and what Jesus says is that he has paid the penalty for sin. That's his first appearing but as believers in Jesus Christ, when we believe the scriptures, we also believe that Jesus is returning again. He's coming again. It will be his second appearing, if you will. It will be the next time that he appears. And what is he coming to do at that point? He is coming to finally and completely put an end to sin. In the book of Revelation, there's some crazy pictures. Like, you want to get weirded out? Read the book of Revelation. Like, it's craziness but it talks about Jesus coming on a white horse. He's got like a tattoo down his thigh. That's like amazing. I don't even know what that would be. What would Jesus get tattooed on his thigh? Like, I have no idea. He's got a robe that's dipped in blood and this is all like pictorial and, and uh, you know, it's, it's a picture of something that's taking place. He's got a sword coming out of his mouth and he, and he is coming and it sounds dangerous. It's not just like, oh, sweet little baby Jesus. It is. It is God in the flesh, and he is coming to rule and reign in finality. And he is putting an end to sin. And guess what? It's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. It's going to happen like lightning. It's one second it is not happening. One second it is happening. He is coming to judge, and every single one of us will experience judgment Every single one of us will experience judgment. Even believers will be judged on what they've done. I can show you scripture. I can't go into it right now. We will be judged. So here he is. He's the righteous judge. He's coming. He's appearing again. He's coming, and he's coming to eradicate sin. And you and I are going to be standing there, and we're going to have one of two thoughts. It's either I'm standing here and I got confidence as Christ is returning or I am standing in shame. I will either be confident that I have walked after Jesus and I have abided in him and I have relationship with God in and through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit or I will stand in shame because I did what I wanted to do. I acted the way that I wanted to. I lived the way that I wanted to. I loved whoever I wanted to. I paid no attention to the life of Jesus Christ and the way that he lived. I paid no attention to what God wants in my life. I did whatever I wanted. I was God in my life. And guess what? If you want to be your own God, Jesus is not your king. And you will stand in shame. Everlasting shame. Everlasting shame at his coming. Look back at the reason why we're talking about this. We don't like to talk about hell, judgment, damnation. And I think that that has hurt us to some degree. Of course, we talk about the people that are just screaming about hell on the streets downtown. And not nicely at that. And so we want to avoid that. So we avoid this topic of hell. We avoid the topic of judgment. John says, if you're living a licentious life, if you're living a life that is plagued by habitual sin, you need to see this, which is the second coming of Jesus Christ. You need to know that this is taking place. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So he's stating something positively there, which he's, he's going to go on to state negatively here in just a minute. But he's stating positively that like, if you know Jesus Christ, then something that you know about him is that he is righteous. He came to bring righteousness to us. It's not just that he died for sin. It's that the great exchange took took place. Jesus takes my sin and he goes to the cross. He takes what I deserved and he gives me an alien righteousness. He gives me what's called imputed righteousness, big theological term. He imputes, he inputs his righteousness into my life. He gives me what I do not own, what I, what I do not have. And he says, it is yours in me. So that's what he takes place. So, th- so if you and I are aware that he is righteous, he came to bring about righteousness in my life by going to the cross and giving me his righteousness, then something you also know that everyone who practices righteousness, everyone who makes the habit of developing righteousness in their life, and we call that progressive sanctification. It doesn't immediately happen. Like you come out of the baptismal waters, and it's like, what? And you're, and all of a sudden, you're an amazing Christian. Like you, uh, I mean, you you know all of the Christian songs, and you know whatever whatever needs to happen in your life, and all of your addictions and all of the things in your life are just immediately gone. It's not that. It's that it's progressively taking place so he's saying you're practicing righteousness when you're practicing righteousness when you care about what's going on in your life you can be sure that that person has been born of him so he says in chapter 3 verse 1 he says see what kind of i want to stop right there for a second One of the things that I think about this book, because there is some speculation, okay, what is this about? Is that one of the things that helps me a little bit is that I think that this could possibly be a transcript of a sermon, so maybe not intended just to, just to be written down, but maybe it was originally given in verbal form, and then it was written down. One commentator said that. That may be totally wrong. I have no idea. But if you think about it that way, it helps you understand why does John just like immediately just like break off into something. What he just said is he, is, he established a point. And he said, everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him, birth. New birth. There's a new birth that's taken place in their life. They have been birthed of God. God has given birth to them through the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you remember, John chapter 3, this religious guy comes up and says, hey, how do I, you know, kind of do your thing? And Jesus says, you can't really do it. The Holy Spirit has to come, and he has to move in your life, and when he moves in your life, what happens is this new birth, and Nicodemus is like, man, do I need to crawl back in my mom's, you know, whatever, like, that just sounds weird. Jesus, and Jesus is like, no, it's the Holy Spirit. It got awkward at that point, but what's, what's happening here is that we've been born of him. Chapter 3, verse 1, He, like, goes off on something, kind of like I just did. Less weird, though, with him, right? He says, born of God, and, like, immediately, he comes to this point where he's like, don't you see? Don't you understand? Don't you hear this? He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us? Don't you see it? Man, Look at it, some translations say, "Behold, look at this thing. Exclamation point. Man, look at what God has done for you. It is not that He says, "All right, I'll let you come with me." I went to the cross for you you just kind of stay back there. Like, like let's, let, let's, let's do this thing. No, it's like, hey, come into my family. There's this idea of adoption. It's a theological point, actually. He adopts us into his family. He brings, a, brings us into his family so much that he gives us a spiritual inheritance. It's so amazing. And he says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Guys, Look at how amazing this is. Look at how awesome it is. When you're a child of God, when you see that, when you know that, when you experience it, doesn't your life want to change? Don't, it's, it, it's almost like it wants to change for you when you know that. But that's why he's telling us because there's a lot of us that don't know that. Don't see it. Don't experience it. Don't, don't really want it. I want a little bit of Jesus on Sunday, and then I'm going to go do whatever I want the rest of the week. I'm not going to engage in com- community because if, if the people in my community knew what I did or what I do or what my life looks like or the fact that I don't really walk with Jesus, I just kind of give, a, you know, a pittance to who Jesus is, and, I, and so I attend a service occasionally, but there's no child of God stuff here. There's no born of God stuff here. It's just like, it's just this, a little bit of religion it's American Christianity at its worst. Because that's, that's where Satan wants you. Nothing too bad, nothing too good. You just feel secure in who you are. And John is saying, don't, don't feel secure. <laughs> it's, not, it's not that easy. He says, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. The reason why there's this big difference between the world and us, and I think he's bringing this up because he's about to draw this huge conclusion, this this separation between those who are practicing sin and those who are practicing righteousness. And he's going to draw this big difference, and he says, the reason why there's this difference, the reason why there's this disconnect, the reason why you might look weird sometimes, the reason why sometimes you may be persecuted, although persecution in America is pretty tame, don't fool yourself into thinking that it's awful, is that the world doesn't know us, is that it doesn't know him. There's the lie, there's the heresy that says, oh, you know, we're all children of God. That's a lie, that's not true. It's actually not true. We are all from God as creator. But we are not his children unless we are his children through Jesus Christ by faith. We become his child in that sense only. That is what separates us. That is what is so exclusive about who God is. Verse 2 of chapter 3. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that When he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Crazy concept here. He's saying because we're children, and even though we're still in this world, what we're going to be hasn't fully taken place. What what we're going to be in light of who Jesus is, it has not fully taken place yet. It's progressively taking place, but it hasn't fully taken place. When is it going to take place? We know that when He appears, we're gonna be instantaneously like Him. Why? Because we're gonna see Him as He is. Do you see what He's setting up here? There's a difference between the world, you're a child of God. You're to be growing in in righteousness. You're to be practicing righteousness. You're to be doing this. And the ultimate end game is this, is that Jesus is going to reappear. And those that know him are are going to instantaneously become like him. We're going to see him. And we're going to see him as he is. And so then I'm going to become like him. And he's, he's saying that we must keep this in mind, that this is, the, this is the direction, this is the angle, this is what a child of God desires, this is what he or she wants in their life. I'm looking forward to the day that Jesus returns. Are we looking forward to the day that he returns because we will be like him? Do we want holiness? Do we not want righteousness so bad that we are just saying, Lord Jesus, come quickly. I see that on Facebook a lot when there's horrific events that take place. The last words a lot of times on, on our, our posts, some of, whoever's posted it is, says, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And yes, that's a good thing. Like we want Jesus to come quickly. But we want Jesus to come quickly, not just because some horrific event happened. We want Jesus to come quickly because of the way that I treat my neighbor. The way that I live, the way that I speak to my wife, the way that I am who I am. It's not just horrific events that we want Jesus to return quickly for. We want Jesus to return quickly now because I want to be like him. Do you long for it? Do you need it? Do you have to have it? As a child of God, is that what you desire He says, verse three, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he, Jesus, is pure. Everyone who hopes in him. Now let's, let's talk about that. If we're hoping in him, is there a, a purity that I long for in accordance with who Jesus is? Am I longing for the the purity in my life? Or am I constantly just kind of, you know, Jesus went to the cross for that sin. Yes, that's true, and we should continue to do that, John is saying there's a bigger issue when we're never, never working towards purity. The person who knows God, the person who is a child of God, is, is concerned about practicing righteousness, is concerned about purification. Look at 2 Corinthians, you don't need to turn there. Uh, Chapter 7 verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Are we people who are desiring purity, desiring cleansing, desiring holiness? It doesn't mean that you've arrived. It means that you want it. It means that you desire it. It means that you think about it. Look at James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. The words are saying this that there must be an understanding that I am somebody who's a sinner. I hear the most. Irritating things sometimes from people, you know, we're not sinners, we're saved by grace. But if you don't understand that you're a sinner, you're just committing the Gnostic heresy. Anyone who says that he's without sin, you're acting like you don't have sin. And this is saying, the understanding that I am a sinner saved by grace, I'm a child of God, I'm going after Jesus. And what is showing that is the fact that I long to be pure in my life. I long for purity. I see the fact that I'm double-minded. Over and over again, we can see this. We can see this in our lives that we lack purity. Now let's get into the difficult part. (laughs) If that wasn't already. Let me point something out to you that I think is going to be helpful in this passage. Uh, This is going to be a little bit educational, for just a second. Stick with me. Don't wander off. I'll just talk louder. I'll get you back eventually. Um, blow my voice out here. Look at verse, verses four through seven. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is Lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, verse 5, and in him there is no sin. Uh, Verse 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. As he is righteous. Look at the next series of verses here, verse 8 through 10. And look at the similarities between verse 8 and 4. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Look at 8b, halfway through 8b. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Look at verse 5, back at verse 5. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him is no sin at all. Look at verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Look at verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Do you see what's, what's happening there? Is that these are, uh, they're, they're, they're replicas of each other. They're said in a different way. I think it looks very confusing. And I, I, I had to read it a thousand times and then finally a commentator pointed this out. I was like, duh. Like he's saying the same thing uh, two different times. And what he's showing us is, I want you to focus on this aspect. I want you to focus on this. So look at verse four. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness sin is lawlessness What we need to see first of all is the holiness of God his incredible greatness his his incredible righteousness We need to see that in all of its fullness and then we need to be reminded of something that it's not just that these are individual breakings of the law, God's law, but this is a pervasive pattern of lawlessness. It's a pervasive pattern of lawlessness. Look at verse 8, saying the same thing. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Why is he saying that? You're a child of God for the love. That is the wrong team. You're going the wrong way. Don't you see this, like the practice of sinning? You're playing for the devil. This is treasonous. It's lawlessness. What do we need to do? Oh, I Screwed up again, I stumbled, I tripped, I... What are all the words that Christians come up with for talk, talking about, I made some indiscretions. I made some bad choices. I shouldn't have put myself in those, in those areas. Those kind of, it's just a, just a small thing, just a slight problem, just a white lie, just a... John says, it's not a white lie. It's not just a small decision. It's lawlessness and it is of the devil. (laughs) Yikes. In accountability next time. (laughs) When you're in that group, when you're talking with those people, why don't we call it what it is? I am producing in my life what comes from the devil that Jesus not only came to pay for, but he is coming again to eradicate. And I want to be confident at His appearing. Now, what is He talking about here? Is He saying, if you sin at all, or if you struggle with habitual sin, is He saying, huh, you're out? No, what what it's saying is, it's saying, do you have a settled determination to be in sin? Do you have a settled determination to continue in a relationship that you know is wrong? Have you gone to other so-called Christian sources to somehow make you feel good about your, your choices? Have you gone with the theology of the day to say, I'm, you know, I'm, I, uh, I'm not going to condemn me, I, I, I've got to build myself up, I've got to make myself feel good. And so I just need to encourage myself. That's what this is talking about. It's saying it's, it's not just that you sin individually because John said earlier in the passage, like, if we say that we're without sin, we lie, and we're not in the truth. So there's, an, there's the admission that we as Christians struggle with sin. What John is saying is that, and there is this fine line here which is it's not that it's, a, it's, it's sin without the struggle. It's a settled determination in your sin and my sin. It's a settled determination that says, I know that, I, that, that, that this is wrong, but I'm going to continue to do it. it it's, it's the idea that I'm going to continue doing whatever I want to. It's a settled determination. It goes on and on some commentators say it is a willful habitual action it is willful rejection and an active disobedience against god's moral standard over and over again so then he says in the, the second thing he says you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin he says, you know that Jesus is perfect. You know that he came to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. And like, like, you know that this is the guy that you claim to be following, right? Do you know what his standard is? Do you know what he wants for you? Do you know what he wants from you? He wants you to walk with him. He says in uh, 8b, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Go on to the next point. He says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning, in verse 6. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. This abiding, when we're abiding in Jesus and we're looking at our life and we're looking for purification, we're going to Jesus on a regular basis and we're laying our lives before the scriptures. And we're we're looking at the scripture and we're saying, like okay, here's my life and here's the scriptures and I'm gonna pour my life into those scriptures. I'm gonna pour my life into those scriptures and I'm gonna see how does my life work with the life of Jesus? How does my life compare to what God wants for me? How does God what, is, what does that look like? It's like a sieve. It's it's like I pour my life in. And it's like the scriptures like begin to pull out from their impurities. It begins to show me like, hey, there is some jacked up stuff in your life. Like the idea that we become Christians, and so, and I'm just fine. I'm just I, I'm 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 fine, I'm just waiting for heaven or something is so wrong because what this is saying is that the people who know God, who are children of God, are in a constant purification process. It's not that they're saving themselves through purification, asking God, hey, purify me by the power of your Holy Spirit. Make me pure, cleanse me. It's not that I'm being saved through that. It's that that proves that God saved me. It proves that God did work in me. You want assurance of your salvation? You want assurance that you have a relationship with God? Do you doubt it? Perhaps you haven't been walking with Jesus. Perhaps you haven't been abiding. Because I know of no other way than to look at your life and say, I don't know how you have any type of confidence in Christ. You may have prayed a prayer. You may have done lots of things. But I see no evidence because of the way that you live. Or... We can look at your life and we would say, dude, I see a consistent pattern of you practicing righteousness. And it's not so that God will accept you. It's because God has accepted you. It's a consistent pattern in our life. That's, and that's what he's saying in the last piece there. In verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. The person who is, and and righteousness, I think it says practices for a reason. It's not saying the person who is immediately righteous, no, that's the person that's righteous. No, it says the person who's practicing. They're trying, they're working, they're, they're working towards becoming more like Jesus Christ and that is the person who has actually received the imputed, the alien righteousness of God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the person who should have confidence. That is the person who should be able to feel in their life like I am a child of God. And so the last piece of this he says, by this is, it is evident who are the children of God, verse 10, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not from God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So practicing righteousness, and then one commentator says this, love is righteousness in relation to others. That's why he's saying this. is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now, let's go back to, because that was some hard stuff there. Let's go back to this. If anyone does sin, and you're going to sin, we have an advocate. Jesus the righteous. Why do I want to be a child of God? Because He saves me continually. Not that he ever lets me go, but he's not just saving me from, okay, I gave you a clean slate here, and now you got to go on and keep your crap together, right? You better keep it together. No, he continually saves me. He's my advocate. He's continually saving me. It's not that he's continually going to the cross, but he's my advocate and he's constantly making amends where I can't make amends. He's constantly loving me. He's constantly like a father saying, I know you didn't get it right this time, but I wanna see you try to do it right the next time. That's what a loving father does. A loving father is continually saying, I know this didn't work out this time, but let's do, let's do it differently, let's do it better next time. This is what he does for us. Why wouldn't you want to be a child of the Most High God? Why would you not want to be in relationship with him? Why would you not want to live in this way? This is what he has for you, this incredible love that goes to the cross for you. And what he's asking for in return is that you just live in relationship with Him, that you abide in Him, that you love Him, that you walk with Him. Is that true of your life? If it's not, today can be the day for you. You can start a relationship with Jesus Christ right now. What are the requirements? Zero. A desire. A desire. It begins with a desire. And it goes to this. Who am I in relation to God? God is utterly, completely holy. He sends Jesus, uh, the Son of God, God in the flesh. And Jesus comes and he lives perfectly and he dies for you. So what we have to acknowledge is that God's holiness and my sinfulness. I've got to acknowledge that God is holy and yet I'm completely sinful. I've got to acknowledge that his holiness in in light of my sinfulness is awful and that I deserve judgment. And so what happens is conviction. And do you know what? Conviction doesn't take place. Real, true conviction, godly conviction does not take place without the Holy Spirit of God because godly conviction leads to not just feeling bad about yourself, not just feeling bad about the things that you've done, but but asking for forgiveness. It's repentance. It's saying the same thing about my sin. Have you been somebody who thinks that you came to God? Yet there's never been real repentance. Because you've always said to yourself, you know, I'm a pretty good person. God should accept me because I'm kind of a nice person. I want a little bit of morality. You're not a Christian. You're not somebody who knows Jesus. You're not really walking with him. It's repentance. It's acknowledging God's holiness and my sinfulness. It's repentance, saying, God, I agree with you about my sin. And then it is... Placing faith, and I believe that you are the one who can save me and who will save me and who has saved me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Have you confessed your sins? Have you confessed your sins or do you stand in your own righteousness? Practice righteousness. Stop practicing sin if you know Jesus. Purify yourself the way that He is pure, by His power, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Open up your heart to Him and say, God, show me where I'm wrong. Open up the scriptures and and ask God to show you where you're wrong. And then walk in the joy that you're going to be like Him when He returns and that you're not gonna be sitting in shame, you're gonna be sitting in confidence that he's returning. Let's pray. Oh Jesus, I think that these are hard things to hear. They're hard things for me to hear. There are hard things to teach, but they're in your word. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here that's rejecting this outright, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would convict, not to make them feel bad, but, Lord, that they would see the truth of this, that they would see the truth of what you're saying here. Lord, there's hard hearts in here towards you, some of us have hard hearts because of perpetual, habitual sin that we've been, it's been settled in our life. We haven't been working towards purity. We just want a little bit of religion and just move on. God, would you break our hearts for the sins that we commit knowing that we're playing for the wrong team? This is of the devil. This is not a part of you. And we, ha- we do not have hope in you if this is the way that we're going to live our lives. God, would you convict? Lord, would you work in us as people and Lord, as a community collectively. We're not just individuals, we are a community, this church, this group of people. Now, Lord, that you would you would call us to yourself to purity, to righteousness, to holiness. That God, that we would be people that are so committed to that, that our 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 sinful lives are shown for what they are, as our as our friends show us, hey, I'm seeing that. That, that you love your work more than you love Jesus because you never have time for him. I'm seeing that you love sex more than Jesus. I'm seeing that you love this. God, would you bring that to bear on our lives? Because it is out of that, Lord God, that you are going to bring about amazing change in this church. God, I believe that it's possible. I believe that you can. I believe that you've already been doing it. God, would you, would you bring more of it Would you you convict each of us to pray that prayer? Not because it's magical, but because to say we want this to be the longing of our heart. Would you move on our hearts, bring purity to me? God, would you work in my life right here and right now? It's in your name that we pray. Amen.